and welcome to the Self-Published Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. And we have a guest today. What's your name? My name is Tristy Pinkston, but I also write as Amelia C. Adams. Good, because that's what I've been telling everybody. <laughs> Tristy Pinkston and Amelia C. Adams will be on our podcast tonight. <laughs> Both of us at the same time. At the same time. So, Tristy, tell us how we met. I met you when you were seeking publication for your Key of Colonia series, and I was working for the publisher that you were going to be working with, and I became your editor, and there was much madness and mayhem that ensued. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But we're still together. (laughs) We are still together. And it's been nine years since I signed with that publisher. Really? Wow. Yep. A lot's happened in that nine years. Yeah. Like that guy sitting next to you. Yeah. He's my yeah, husband. <laughs> anyway, so tell us a little bit about what you write under both pen names. As Tristy Pinkston, I write historical fiction. I write cozy mystery. I've written a cookbook. I've written some inspirational nonfiction. And I've written some suspense. And the whole time, I used to say that I've written everything but horror, western, and erotica. Well, one day, I met a friend who talked me into writing western, and so now I write western. Nolan was like, horror, erotica? Yeah! Western horror, erotica. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you covered horror with Michael Brent Collings last time. It's true. But I'm pretty sure none of us have delved into the erotica yet. Yeah. I want it all Down three. I want it all three but, in yeah. one genre. I'm sorry? I want it all three in one. All three in one. Okay. Let me take a little We should get to uh, David West. David West. He's written Western Horror, so uh-huh. he's already two-thirds of the way there. Well, oh. Michael Brent's also read, written Western Romance. That's true. And he writes horror. Yeah, he just took me. They're all just one step away from success. (laughs) One of us just needs to get flicked over that last little line. But um, anyway, (laughs) I'm going to reel us in here, (laughs) if that's okay. Um, No. Okay, so Tristy, let's see. Um, Yeah, Tristy Pinkston is my editor. Um, I do have people ask, are you taking on new clients? So this is your official answer. My official answer is no, at this time I am not. That's, that's um, my pretty much what I tell career people. <laughs> really took off once I started writing the westerns. And so a great deal of my time is being taken up doing that. And so I've had to be very limited with who I work with as an editor. I will always work with Andrea because we have a long, a long history and we're just you know, joined at the hip, but um, as far as new clients go right now, no, I'm not. Yeah. That's, so thank you for asking. That's pretty much what I tell people. I get asked all the time if my editor is taking on new clients, and I usually say she's doing this author business, and it's been going very well for her, so. Um, okay. uh, well, it's quite flattering that they're asking about me. You yeah. Know? I appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Nolan, um, would you actually do you have any updates? Regular things are happening. Regular things are happening. My updates are we have a week and five days until the baby is due. Yay. And two weeks and six days until the C section is scheduled. And by the Excellent. time this go out goes out, it'll be a week and three days and two weeks and four days. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> That was a little confusing, but that's okay. Well, okay, so this will go live on Thursday, and Uh so then it's like a week and a half, and a week and two and a half weeks until C-section and due date. Let's not get into the weeds of math. I can't think right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's see. Uh, um, Tristy, are you working on anything right now? I'm always working on something. Right now I'm finishing up Kansas Crossroads number 16. Kansas Crossroads is my biggest um, single project I'm doing as Amelia Adams, and that will be out in a day or two. 
And then on March 14th, and I'll go ahead and announce it here. That's my birthday. Um, is that your birthday? I'm doing it just for you. <laughs> um, on March 14th, I am launching a new spinoff series, which I have not told a single soul about yet, except for my cover designer. And that will be called Kansas Cowboys. Oh, fun. And it will spin off of Kansas Crossroads. So you guys will be the first to get to know about that. Sweet. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, no kidding. Especially on my birthday. Uh, if I had known, I couldn't have planned it any better. Because <laughs> I know how much you like cowboys. So. <laughs> I do like cowboys. Um, okay, so we're going to go ahead and go on to the quote, and Nolan's going to give that. Expect to be knocked down, but never lie there and let the world walk around you. Get up and be reckoned with. Let's all make the day count by Charlie Daniels. And um, your thoughts on that? I don't know. I've seen World's War II-y. World's War II-y. <laughs> right? I mean, England and Guernsey. They Here. just didn't take it lying down, except some of them when they died. But... <laughs> really bad. <laughs> So I'm kind of sensing a segue here. <laughs> I try. The segue won't be happening just yet. I still have to give my my marketing and um, publishing tip. <laughs> oh, okay. But we try to make it feel like it's related. Yes. Even if we have to stretch. Okay, I'm going to read it again. So it says, expect to be knocked down, but never lie there and let the world walk around you. Get up and be reckoned with. Let's all make the day count. How does that make you feel, Tristy? I feel invigorated. I want to go stand up and make them walk take into you and conquer. <laughs> I feel conquery, just like the Allies during World War II. Yes, she gets it. <laughs> I do get it. Oh, you too. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do the tip, if that's okay with you too. Okay, so we're going to be talking over the next few weeks of episodes. Um, we'll be talking about creating a newsletter list. And just as an introduction to that, a newsletter list, well, a robust list, is arguably the most important thing that you can do for your author career. Um, so if you have a good one in place, you can, you won't ever need to run BookBub or any other promotions. They'll be optional. And getting that rejection email won't derail or depress you. So, and the reason for that is if you have a successful newsletter list and you put out a new release or you run a promotion, you tell your readers and they go and download. And so that's one of, this is one of the biggest things that I focus on and it's what I'm usually asked to present and teach on. Um, I told you Storymakers, they're having me go in and do newsletter marketing. Very um, cool. Anyway, so I have a course called Finding Subscribers and we talk about ways to grow your newsletter list and attract readers, but for now, um, over the next few weeks, I'm just going to focus on setting up the list. So next week I'll give a couple of different examples of places, people, you know, companies that people can use to set up their lists with and etc. So um, that's pretty much the tip for today. Basically, we're going to be focusing on newsletter lists and you need to have one if you don't. And Tristy's got one. I know because I helped her set up part of it. <laughs> yes, you did. And may I just say that in the, has it been six weeks or two months? I think about two since. months. In the last two months, I've had 400 new subscribers. Awesome. Doing it, doing it your way. And out of those, I would say that I am retaining better than 80%. Oh, very nice. That's very good. I've been extremely pleased. Oh, good. Good. And that's, you've, I, got, yeah. you've got a free book as a download, right? That I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They set that up through BookFunnel. Yep. And then I use MailChimp as my uh, uh, provider. Server. Yeah. Provider. There's the good word for you. <laughs> the provider. And um, it's been working really, really well. Oh, good. That's good. Thanks to you and your marvelous tippageness. My marvelous tippageness when I'm tipping yes. cows. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we're going to go ahead and go into the movie now. Nolan, where's our segue? Uh, Nazis. <laughs> wow. It's well, that actually works because I'm a grammar Nazi. It's true. And so now we will talk about World War II Nazis. See, it's all good. <laughs> it's it's my opening scene. No. Nazis! Exclamation point. 
Yes. <laughs> okay, so we're going to... Okay, so Tristy, can you give us like a few sentence rundown of what this movie is about for people who have not heard of it? I can. We have chosen tonight to talk about the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society movie based on the book of the same name. I'd heard about the book and the title was so weird that I never looked into it until they made it into a movie. And then I fell head over heels madly in love. It's a historical fiction set in uh, at the close of World War II. It's about a young novelist who has made her career writing um, funny stories that don't suit her. She's she's building herself a career, but she's not feeding her creative self. And she begins to communicate with a man who is a member of a book club out on the Isle of Guernsey. And as they write back and forth, they discover that they have a great deal in common. And so she goes out to visit them and discovers that that is where her heart and soul truly belong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I am going to be 100% honest. And, and Tristy, before, before you respond and react, let me explain. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, the first time I watched it, I hated it about 100%. <laughs> okay. And it's because I didn't know what I was going in for. I didn't know what the genre. I knew it was f historical fiction, but that was all I knew. I didn't know it was a romance. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and so the second time I watched it, I knew what it was about, and I actually enjoyed it the second time. Because I was like, okay, so now I know what this movie is about. And the first time I didn't, I was expecting something. Have you seen the King's Speech? I have. Uh -huh. I was expecting something more along that line, where the ending is this powerful, powerful, emotional, evocative scene that just makes you. And and that's not what this movie is. This movie is a more of a tender-hearted romance, you know, which I now appreciate. But when I and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later. But I did want you to know that that um, there are a couple things in it that I feel like they could have done better. Um, but that overall, uh, it is a satisfying movie for people who know what they're getting into. <laughs> okay. Um, and I'll be in the camp of loved it start to finish. She's seen it several times. People, people can watch it for themselves and draw their own conclusions, but yeah, exactly. It, it hits me in different places every single time. I've watched it four times and I never do that with a movie. So that's that's why we don't live next to each other because Nolan and I watch movies four times and three thousand times. <laughs> okay, all right, Nolan, why don't you go ahead and talk to us about the characters a bit? Um, okay, so we know Juliet, and she's got a friend, a publisher named Sydney, who is basically there so she has someone to talk to, so she's not monologuing when she's not on the island. Yes, uh -huh. um, which is fine. And then there is like I guess the uh, crew of misfits it feels like on the island on the island so there's there's uh -huh. quite a few people Dossie is the main one he's the he's the hot guy he's the love interest um he is a pig farmer <laughs> which is pretty awesome <laughs> uh and a pig farmer. probably the next most important character is amelia or marcus okay. or would you say amelia i would say amelia because she's like the, the antagonist that's true. She's the one uh, that's, yeah. yeah. And then she's got an, a friend on the island. Oh, what's her name? Isola. Isola. So she has someone to talk to, so she's not monologuing on the, on the <laughs> island. Uh, although she does have her own character. She really is a character. She does. Her. Yes. Yeah. More so that than I, Sydney. More so than Sydney. Yeah. And that's actually more something... More so than Sydney. Sydney does fill a role. That's something I think they did really well with this movie, was make uncomfortable and awkward characters become lovable and likable by the end of the movie. Like, at the beginning, yes. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Like, these mm -hmm. people are so awkward. And then by the end, you understand and love them. Yeah. So that's yes, they, they're all kind of quirky, and they make the island kind of feel that way. C compared to London, you know, there's a contrast between uh -huh. the settings. They they definitely try to draw as strong a contrast between the two as possible, not just in the mm -hmm. setting itself, but in the characters and their mindsets. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. That's of course our main person is Juliet, yeah. who I found kind of unlikable. But <laughs> uh. the only thing about her that made that was unlikable to me was how pushy she was with questions when she first got to the island. Because in the book, you have the time to make that more natural, but in the movie, it made me uncomfortable because I was like, "Stop asking them these questions they obviously don't want to answer." And so yeah. it, it worked out in the end, but I think that in the beginning, it, like I said, it made me very uncomfortable, especially the first time I was watching it. I was like, go go away. Like if she'd been there with me <laughs> yeah. and, and Tristy knows me, I'm a very extroverted person. I don't care if people ask questions, but those the way she was doing it, I was like, it was making me bristle, you know? Yeah, I yeah. found Amelia's response to her prying to be an appropriate a, response. An inappropriate? Appropriate. Appropriate. A very appropriate response to a complete stranger asking about your personal life. <laughs> Yeah. So, which was good. I mean, that's the point of her character, too. So, I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt that she was... Well, not only from what you were saying, they have to condense it in a movie because you only have 90 minutes, two hours to put across your story. But I felt that she wanted so badly to belong to them. Yeah. Because she herself had no one but Sydney. Um, we see in the beginning of the movie that her parents have been killed during the, the Blitz in London, and um, she wanted so badly to fit in and to belong somewhere that for me, that was why she was being so pushy, is she's like, I see what you have, I want it, let me in, let me in. And then also and, talking to Dossie via letters, like she yeah. she came to recognize this kinship with these people, and she wanted yeah. to, she was like, I want to be part of this. Exactly, and she was so... Um, she was so unfamiliar with their situation and they were keeping a secret from her and so they were already guarded. Yeah, yeah. And so then all of a sudden here comes this person who wants to know everything about us and we can't let her get too close because of the secret that they were protecting. And so she was over enthusiastic to belong and they were super cautious about not saying anything. Yeah. And so it did, it did come together into a very awkward situation but as the movie plays out, you can see why they each yeah. behaved the way that they did. But she was very much like the little poodle, you know? <laughs> yippee, 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 love me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Include me, be my friend. And it was awkward. I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. But uh, we get to see her character growth, too. Yeah. As she comes to understand how to approach them and how to really fit instead of artificially yeah. inserting herself into the situation. Yeah, exactly. So she comes across a mystery that is that is very near and dear to them, like just heartbreaking to them, and she promises to help, and she does, and that yeah. endears her to them. Yes. Um, Nolan, let's see. Okay, so foreshadowing. I know you have a comment on it, but I'm going to... So the foreshadowing for me, and the first time I watched this movie, like I said, I didn't know it was a romance. I was like, why is Marcus less attractive than Dossie? And I'm like, oh, because Dossie's the real love interest. <laughs> he's, he's a very attractive man. And I was like, when I was first watching it, I was like, that kind of bothered me because I thought Marcus, you know, I was like, she's engaged to Marcus. And and I was like, why, why are they making this random guy on the island be more attractive? But that's foreshadowing, you know? I mean, yeah. so that's a good thing. And then, Nolan, you wanted to... Oh, well, I knew they weren't going to get together right over pretty... She takes her ring off, like, right away, so... Yes. As I say, takes ring off. Sorry, handsome is my note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then only... and she didn't have a couple of different reasons for that, but the emotional. But again, it was her wanting to belong. Yeah. She she said yes to him because he made her feel like she belonged. Yeah. And but and we see throughout the course of the movie that they were a terrible match. He he was trying to control her when she did not want that mm -hmm. and it would have fallen apart sooner or later anyway but yeah it she only she only ever said yes because she needed connection yeah and she and honestly she didn't have anyone else i mean besides her publisher yeah. and him and she didn't know she didn't yeah. have a comparison to make it to you know yeah and it's not like she wasn't gonna she was gonna end up with her publisher anyway because her name wasn't tom <laughs> 
Okay. Um, sorry. Um, Nolan, do you want to talk about the antagonist? I'm, I look at his paper and I see he has like quotes or comments on stuff. So I'm like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> antagonist. Pro- I, I put down flashbacks as my antagonist. <laughs> Uh, um, actually, some most of them are fine. I just didn't like the building one for some reason. It just I, felt really abrupt. It, it, in tone, the other ones, the tone of the other ones felt consistent, but for some reason, that one, I, 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 I really felt like it was like just a different scene, not a flashback. It took me a second because she's the same age and like wearing the same kind of clothes, and she's not dirty at all. Going into a blown out building. Um, are you talking about the part when she's looking at the apartment building? Yeah, she gets her globe with the bird in it. Uh-huh. That's the only one that really bothered me, but it bothered me right off the bat, so I wrote it down. But that's not uh, really intense. I actually saw some differences, if you don't mind my interjecting. Sure. Um, in the first place, Sydney's in a military uniform. Yes, he is. And she had come in from traveling, and so I picked up from that that she had been away and came home to find that well, I, her I house had been burned out. But you don't and see him so, for a while. She does, look, she does look younger. She's not wearing as much makeup, and and so forth. So for me, it worked. But again, this is all about everybody should watch it and draw their own conclusions. So I yeah, it was a little jarring until I got it. Like one, like when he came in and was in a uniform, then I was like, oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But for a second there, I was yeah. like, because uh, it was like a normal scene of them like talking, and then yeah. the next one was like her, like she just got up and walked to a blown out building, I guess. So that kind of yeah. threw me off, but that's not really an antagonistic thing. Um, my, my thing with that was I felt like it was foreshadowing something, and they never followed through on it. Well, they, he hands her the globe at the end. She, yeah, but, well, I mean like like her, that building, and I felt like they only had that happen as a reason to give her... Uh, to basically give her a reason to say no to the building. Otherwise, I mean, we would be like, you're crazy, that building is beautiful. But So they Mm -hmm. put the flashback in there, and it made it feel a little forced to me. Um, Yeah, I I can see that. For me, I felt that it showed her uh, some of the background of her relationship with Sydney so that we could understand why he was reading for her so far at the end. And this is good but because you have seen it more often than we have, you know, and I, so I, you're I, able I, to pull I think that it's out. a good flashback. I just would have maybe put it right before or right after, not during. During the actual scene. Oh yeah, because it felt it made it feel like it was like a post-apocalyptic movie. And that was another <laughs> oh, reason why I was confused is because she opens the door uh-huh. and it's torn apart and I'm like, "Wait, what movie are we watching?" Uh-huh. Um Yeah, so it yeah, just it, it, it could have felt more flashbacky, maybe like a little. They don't. They don't do that with the other. Yeah, they don't do that with any of the other ones, and I felt like they fit perfectly. You know, like uh-huh. sometimes they do kind of do like a some sort of treatment for flashbacks, uh-huh. but the other ones I knew right away that they were. That one just yeah. felt the most incongruous to me, but it's not really. Yeah. Nice. Um, but antagonist, her main antagonist really is Amelia. Uh huh. Um, for plenty of good reasons. Yeah, and then so, Amelia does. I mean, the antagonistic relationship is not one that lasts. You know, it's um, most romances are that way, unless you have like a bad guy in the romance. You know, but yeah. like the person that you don't get along with, you end up coming to love by the end. And yeah, I thought they did Amelia's personality very well. I was I hated her at first, which is actually the point. And so yeah, and by the end, I liked her and I could appreciate her and I understood. You know, so I think they did really well with that. Yeah, it was her fierce loyalty. Yes. And yeah. that is that's what made her come across the way that she did. But when you understand why she was that way and what she was protecting. Yeah. And then everyone wanted to be that protective. Yeah. And then suddenly we're all on the same team because we realize we have a common goal. Yeah. You know, understanding where people comes from. It's a good thing. Um, okay, Nolan, next page, what comments do you have? What do you have? Um, well, I just want to make sure I'm not skipping you, because I just skipped all the way to show and tell. <laughs> okay, so, um, this is something I thought they did also well, the show and tell. She turns down the beautiful apartment building for a grungy place, so she's choosing unglamorous over glamorous purposefully, mm-hmm. and that shows her personality, and it foreshadows, again, her choosing Guernsey over mm-hmm. London. Although Guernsey is beautiful, and I would Yeah, we were Guernsey. both like, we would move yeah. to Guernsey in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would too. Let's go right now. Yeah, so pretty. Um, but I love that. I was like, they didn't have to say, she didn't ever once said, I prefer a more simple life. They showed us instead, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very, very well done. Um, noteworthy, the cow and the calf birth scene. Uh, I just want everyone to know 
this is not how my labor and delivery is going to go. <laughs> it may. <laughs> Nolan says it may. <laughs> They're not going to tie ropes around my baby's feet and pull him out. <laughs> that's what it's they they, they do the equivalent with forceps. I mean, it's oh, really just. Geez. Yeah, that's not the way it's going to go. They use a tool to extract a, a child or calf. It's true, but anyway. <laughs> um, okay, so Tracy, what were your favorite? We're going to talk about things that we liked and things that didn't work for us. Um, so what were like the biggest things that really worked for you with this movie? There were a couple of things that really stood out to me. And these these are not our takeaways, by the way. No? Okay. <laughs> um, the first thing that drew me in was her her feeling of being lost mm -hmm. and we see it over and over and over again in the beginning um when they go and look at the apartment and sydney's trying to talk her into it and he says you know this could be a proper home and she says well it is a proper home it's just not mine yeah and so they start wondering okay so what is her proper home what is she looking for yeah and so then she goes and she goes to this um really extravagant party with marcus and all the military people and everyone's glamorous and she's dressed beautifully and there's music and laughter all around her and she gets distracted by seeing a balloon that has let go and has floated up to the ceiling and she just follows it up to the ceiling with her eyes and you get this very strong sense of she wishes she were that balloon she doesn't want to be here she feels uncomfortable she wishes that she could escape and so all throughout the film we're seeing that she's living this world that is you know for all intents and purposes from the outside it's this beautiful glamorous life she's a successful author she has a handsome fiance she has her choice of where to live she can go to these glamorous places but none of it suits her until she gets to guernsey and she realizes this is what my heart's been looking for. Yeah. And so, like we said before, that's why she gets a little, ooh, let me into your club, you know, let me be a part of you. And then she has to come to that naturally. But that all really resonated with me because, A, she's trying to find her voice with her words. And I think that all of us as um, artists in our own way, we're trying to find how to use our art to express who we really are and until we hit on exactly that medium we feel kind of out of place until we hit that groove and once we hit that groove and we're writing what we want to write or painting what we want to paint or creating what we want to create we've got that sense of dissonance and so that was one thing that just really stood out to me and the way that they showed that with the balloon as soon as that balloon started to float, I totally got what they were doing with that symbolism of she wants to float away. She doesn't want to be here. Yeah. And yeah. just how overwhelmed she felt by Marcus's attentions. And he was offering her New York and he was offering her all these things she'd always dreamed of. Lots of flowers she and, didn't want. What's that? <laughs> Lots of flowers she didn't want. All the flowers, which she didn't really want, because <laughs> when she put them out in the hallway, she's like, Gave them to her <laughs> landlady. <laughs> Yeah, had to go vase shopping every day, but um, but then we see her come into her own. The other scene that really got me is um, she's in Dossie's house. She's helping take care of the little girl, and out of curiosity, she kind of wanders into his bedroom and she sees the book that she and she that, picks uh, up his unmentionables. Just yes. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Was um, he wearing them? She sees the book <laughs> so sitting on his nightstand. Yeah. And she picks it up. And in that moment, you're like, okay, this is the moment of connection where everything comes full circle. Where she's holding the book that she owned as a little girl. She's now where she should be holding this piece of herself. And then he walks in and you're like, oh, crud, I just got caught in his bedroom. But that scene is so much more than that. Yeah. Because it's not just, why are you in my bedroom? The scene is, something's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets out of that room as fast as she can. I mean, she's not, there's not like a, uh, the chemistry is definitely there, but there's not like a, uh, there's no sexual 
compromise going on there for being an engaged woman. It was just, oh, you know, let me leave your room now. Yeah. But that connection, that moment of recognizing that their two souls were saying the same thing. Yeah. So those are my two favorite scenes in the movie. And I'll let you know, Andrea, my sister did not like the movie either. I forgive her for that. That's okay. I said I liked it the second time. You did like it the second time. But, you know, there are things, there are just certain things about it that touched me kind of on a personal level because I've been going through kind of a, I don't know, midlife crisis, I suppose you could say, at my ripe old age of 42. Um, trying to decide what I want to do with my art. And, so it just hit me at just the right time. Yeah. All right. No one things that like worked for talk. you. I like to talk. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, things that worked for me. Um, the, the, the flowers was an early rejection of what Marcus had to offer her. Mm-hmm. Um, that and uh, what else? Oh, uh, another thing was um, at the book signing. She was rejecting <laughs> that whole thing, like that whole scene. Yeah. And she does it over and over again. When she's in Guernsey, they cancel a ton of those. But even when she's there, she didn't really want to be there doing what she was doing. Um, so she was already, I mean, she want, you could tell she wanted to write, but she didn't want that life. Yeah. Um, the one that Marcus offered her or the one that uh, Sydney offered her. Mm-hmm. So she had two viable, well, they could have kind of been combined. But I mean, there was a, quite a bit she had going on. It wasn't just like one thing. You know, Marcus. Mm-hmm. Marcus wasn't just some escape hatch from a crappy life. No. She had a. She could have had a great life, and she could have yeah. had a great life with Marcus, and she could have been very wealthy. And, you know, but those are mm-hmm. different rejections of two different paths before she even gets to the island. Exactly. And things that worked for me, I'm going to go completely different. Um, it was authentic. It felt like it actually took place in that period. So they, mm-hmm. they, they got their research and the costumes, everything down perfectly. She had very nice clothes. Yeah, she had very nice clothes. Nolan commented on it lots of times. There were several times when we were like, oh, I wish I had something like that to wear. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, but they did a very, very good job at making it feel like a period piece, like set in that specific time. You know, I never once mm-hmm. felt like, you know, cause sometimes you watch movies made in the seventies that are in that time and they have seventies hairstyles, you know, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like that at all while watching it. And mm-hmm. I thought that was fantastic. Um, okay. So things we didn't, that didn't work for us. I already said what didn't work for me with, you know, the whole, I wasn't sure what I was watching. Um, mm-hmm. um, Nolan, you want to tell us about inappropriate breathing? <laughs> Inappropriate breathing? She, she breathes quite uh, heavily. Juliet. When she's reading the letter the first time. Not heavily, but she's <gasps> she does like these, yeah. Not like gas, but she Not like breathes gasps. very noticeably. Yeah, like I was like, why is she breathing like that? Did she just run up the stairs or something? <laughs> she has asthma, but it was undiagnosed at the time. Yeah, it was early in the yeah. early days. Um, but she does that more than once, and I just felt like, she could have been engaged with the letter, but that the her breathing was a little elevated for okay. <laughs> literature <laughs> discussions, I guess. Because she didn't even know what he looked like or anything like that. He could have been like 90, uh-huh. I guess. But she was really excited about finding a Shakespeare book for him. Well, what she did was she climbed to her stairs so fast. Is that what it was? That yeah. When she got in there, she's like, I gotta, you know, I gotta, <laughs> she, I gotta sit here. I'm yeah, try, I can't me. even really describe exactly what it is. It was like a like a gasp, but not quite. It was a little like a little breathless, like in a excitement, but it didn't feel uh-huh. like it was exciting. It could have been like she was really interested uh-huh. in the letter, but I just it was just the actress's way to her take on it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And she does that one other time. I can't remember what it she is. She does it a few times throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Where her breathing is just like kind of like <laughs> extra noticeable. Well, I need to have to watch for that. She, she, she's acting through her breathing, which is a definitely a different technique than I was <laughs> used to. Um, so, yeah, pay attention to her breathing, okay, especially when she's that. reading the letter from Dossie, that first one, I think, and then, or the second one. When he asked her to find the book. Yeah. The Shakespeare book for kids. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was just like, it was just kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know. So, Tristy, was there anything you didn't write that didn't work for you, or? Um, for me, the whole thing really worked. Uh, you were talking about them doing the research so well and creating the 
um, the mood and the clothing and everything. I thought that was all spot on. I found myself very sucked in. And so things like the breathing, I'd have to go back and watch again. (laughs) You'll have a chance to watch it for a fifth time. (laughs) Because um, nothing really stood out to me as, as not working for me. The casting I thought was ideal. They took a lot of the cast from very well-known, already established British period pieces. Um, Downton Abbey had several people in there. Um, Dossie was played by the son from the Age of Adeline. Um, so, you know, they, they chose actors and actresses who were already very well um, on the scene and who knew what they were doing. I never looked at one of the actors and felt like, oh, they could have replaced them with someone better. The whole thing I thought was was really well done, except for perhaps the unintentional asthma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we're going to, let's see, the ending. We don't generally talk about the ending very much just because sometimes we don't want to give spoilers and other times it's just not a big deal. Uh, But there was (laughs) one thing at the ending that caught my attention. Nolan said, that was it? They're just going to nuzzle? No final kiss? <laughs> <laughs> I thought there was a kiss. Wasn't there a kiss? Nope, nope. They go like this. They, really? She nuzzles and they cut off mid-nuzzle. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I totally thought they that kiss was a before. Kiss. I mean, they kiss like when they, you know, when she proposes to him, and then they kiss a little bit. Oh, but the oh, nuzzling scene oh. when they're with the girl and they're sitting on the blanket. Oh, oh yes, that was a nuzzle. Okay, I actually thought that was a very sweet nuzzle. No, I don't have a problem with them nuzzling. <laughs> I just like complete the nuzzle and then kiss, or like, complete the nuzzle and then that's the end of the movie. And they could, and then they could have just like laid because they're like enjoying the day. It's a great day, yeah. right? and then uh-huh. and then just like had that last like relax, you know, where they just sit back. Okay. And then... He's just like they cut off mid nuzzle, but it's like like <laughs> literally in the middle. And then I was just like, okay, and then it started... so you're like a you're like a full nuzzle kind of. Yeah, person. I want the whole thing. <laughs> okay, I was I was a little distracted by. I loved how they showed their two wedding rings. Yes, yeah, I love that. Because so that simple. Was contrast between this huge honking ring that Marcus had given her that she never felt comfortable wearing. Yeah. She didn't feel comfortable with that ring from the very first second. She may have even asthmatically gasped when he gave it to her. No, they think about it. No, she actually and behaved appropriately during that. That was an appropriate okay. Yeah. That was appropriate asthma in that case. And that so then she has the simple gold band. He has a matching simple gold band. And they're at the house that she bought that, you know, belonged to um, I'm Elizabeth. I was going to say, I cannot have forgotten her name. <laughs> and everything just came together so perfectly. So for me, I felt the nuzzle was nice and nuzzly, but that, I, I can see. That's more of a, yeah, that's more of a, like, a not a story thing, but more of like a video. Stylistic. Yeah, stylistic choice yeah. of the director. Some, of, you, yeah, some of these choices are more about that. the director and not about the story, like the flashback. Yeah. So. And you can't you can't describe a nuzzle that cuts off mid-scene in a novel. True. <laughs> well, you could. You know what? That is true. It would, it would not be worth he, the attempt. He sniffed her neck the end. <laughs> Very that, nice. That, that would be difficult, yes. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go ahead and give trivia. I forgot to tell you, I give trivia on each movie just because oh, okay. I love trivia. This movie does not have a whole lot of trivia, and I was disappointed because it's such a big, successful movie, but it's probably because it's a Netflix movie. It's not like Warner Brothers, you know, and so give it time, and then we'll get more trivia. But for now, um, okay, so like Trissy said, it's based on a book from 2008, and Dossie sings, plays the guitar, and writes music. He has an album out, and he's been in a band. The guy who plays Dossie. Yeah, the guy who plays Dossie, which is pretty impressive. Um, Kate Winslet was originally cast as Juliet. And I'm glad they didn't go that way. Yeah, I was actually going to say, I agree. how would you guys feel if she'd been? I don't think she would have been a good Juliet. She would be a little too old. Yes, yep. And I think that she's already so well-known for her other stuff. Um, the actress that we did get, she was Cinderella in the Disney uh, remake. She was also a character in Downton Abbey. But she's still fresh enough. And young. That I, that I think we could look at her and see Juliet as opposed to looking at her and seeing Titanic Girl. Not just that, you know? but I, I, think, I, don't, I think it would be difficult to be as, like, innocent. Yes. For her. Uh, and, like, 
really like just coming into her own in her life mm-hmm. kind of point. Yeah, because Kate Winslet is too old for that role. Yeah, because yeah, she's just... we've seen Kate play um, a mother of three boys. Yeah. And never in Heidi Neverland, I I wouldn't have believed her as Juliet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. So then the last bit of trivia, the top billed cast in order of how how much they were paid, Elizabeth was number one. Okay. The post office worker, the old man, um, Eden, or what was his name? Name. Evan. Evan was number two. Dossie was number three. Isola was number four. German officer without a name was number five. German office German soldier without a name was number six. Sydney and then Juliet. I'm serious. Followed by (laughs) audience member number one, two, and three. And I was like, why was Juliet so far down on the getting paid roll? You know, she's is that that just how they get paid, or that's no top build, as in that's the person who got paid the most for the roles. And I'm guessing it's because the other people have been in bigger move, like actual blockbuster movies, and not. You know, like TV shows, and because that makes a difference too. But are we sure that's not in order of appearance? No, that's it's showed up in the film. Nope, that's it's called top build cast. So they tell you who gets paid the most in which order. So you can see in my little camera there. I don't know if you can see that. I I really can't, but thank you for trying. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just was astounded at that. I was like, why on earth is Juliet so far down the line? So I thought the story, that was another thing. I thought the story was going to be about Elizabeth because she's the main actress in the movie, according Uh to IMDb. But it really is about her. It is. It's quite a bit about her. It is about her. Everyone's reacting to her decision Mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah, it's it's true. It's very much about her. She's the... She's like the overarching thread through the whole thing. And can I just say another part of my another favorite part is um, when she asked Dossie for the bread. And oh, he goes yeah. over to the cover and he gives her the bread and she says, Because you've given me this bread, that's how I know I can trust you. Mm-hmm. Just those little those little moments, all those and that, those things that they, tie them together as community. Yeah, on the envelopes that she gets from Guernsey, it talks about not wasting bread. Yeah. The stamps on the envelopes. Mm-hmm. That lets you know that it's a rare a commodity. Because they didn't exactly. have meat for a long time. You know, they're eating potatoes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and when he that, gives yeah. that. Yeah. Those little threads, those little, um, I'm not going to say this word right, cinematography. Did I say that right? <laughs> yes. Those little, those little directorial things. Like the balloon and the postmark and the bread and the everything, they they stitch together. Yeah, really, really well to create a whole tapestry for me. I agree. I, I agree. Like I said, watching it the second time, I was like seeing the little things and how finely they did the the little details. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very yeah. well put together movie. Um, we're gonna go ahead and go to takeaways, if that's okay, Nolan. Would you like to go first? Uh, sure. I usually make him go first. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I said care about characters. So they really go through a lot of pain <laughs> in this personal mm-hmm. loss, especially Amelia, which is why she's and she's lost so everything guarded. pretty much. Her husband, her daughter, her effectively mm-hmm. adopted daughter, um, even the secret she tried to keep, she <laughs> she, she told, yeah. um, which was probably was the part that we get into and see her even doing that. Um, and she's very. Um, I guess the opposite, Juliet or Elizabeth. Juliet, really, you know how she didn't want to. She had a hard time loving the people she should have loved, and Juliet's trying to love them. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of opposite in that way. They both mm-hmm. lost everything, but how they've approached it is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so have strong like, like um, what was your? Sorry, I can't read. You your care hand, about right? the characters. Care, care about your characters. make you care about them. So that mm-hmm. it it won't hurt. So how do you make readers care about characters in your books? Then? I mean, they had genuine loss, and you can once you know why she's that way. You know, you don't know until later, of course. But it makes you want mm-hmm. to know yeah. why she's that way, mm-hmm. because Juliet's nothing but nice to her, and tries to you know. And then um, she has to go. Amelia has to go through something painful until, and then she's happy, right? Mm-hmm. So that that journey was believable, 
and it had a cost, or at least a perceived cost on Amelia's end. Yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. it was like the last thing she had after she'd lost everything or could lose. You know, she was afraid of losing the girl. Yeah. Right. She's like, yeah. I can't let them have her too. They've already taken everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. your second takeaway? A good competing love interests. Um, I mean, Marcus was a viable choice, not to her, but they're really, I mean, he was maybe he's not, a little, He's a good guy, and he is a little bit bossy, but he is... He, I don't even think he was bossy. He was just trying to offer... It, that's how I felt. He was just trying to offer all these things. Like, I can... Like, we should go to New York and see where I'm from. You know, he was offering mm-hmm. his life. That's where he... You know, that's... He's already living where she is, but he'd like her mm-hmm. to see where he's from. So it didn't feel bossy to me. It just felt like an offer. And it was a good offer. And I actually really liked Marcus... Yeah, I, I liked him quite a bit because I felt like he was down to earth while being super supportive of her goals and dreams. What he perceived were her goals and dreams, you know. Yeah, he was. I mean, he was mm-hmm. awfully very uh, successful and wealthy, mm-hmm. but he wasn't condescending to. I anything. felt that she didn't feel comfortable showing him who she really was. Yeah, and so he couldn't offer her what she really wanted. The thing that made me not like him was when. Amelia has her breakdown at the end and she's just sobbing and Juliet goes to take a step toward her and Marcus takes like, her back. Yeah. That was for me because the whole time you you don't want to think that Juliet's, you know, cheating on Marcus or whatever, and she's really not. But um in that moment where he holds her back and doesn't let her go to Amelia. Uh, it, it was just like the final clinch for well, me. Well, exactly. And he doesn't, and ultimately, he doesn't get it. Well, and my yeah. thing is, my reading of that scene was he didn't understand how close she'd gotten to those people. So he's like, don't get in, in don't get in her way. She I, needs well, to mourn without in, you. In some way, yeah. I mean, well, he did with Dossie. He knew right away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, he's like, I was wondering why you were here, and now I know why, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, that put him on a defensive footing right away. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's going to be never, She never felt like she could just open up to him. Yeah. But he was a viable option. I mean, he's not slapping her around. You know, he's not. I mean, he. He wasn't a right. He wasn't the right fit. But. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't like so awful that it's like some sort of horrible beast abusive person. Yeah. He had to be vi- a viable option in, in order for it to be a hard decision that she was making. Mm-hmm. Or else, again, it wouldn't have hurt and then we wouldn't care. Exactly. So he had, I mean, they had, he had to be at least at first, and there has to be a reason why she chooses one over the other Mm -hmm. ultimately, but they do make it seem like they could be together. I mean, I I mean, aside from the fact that she doesn't want to be, and you can tell that early on, but you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So Tristy, your takeaways. Oh, oh. These are takeaways for readers or for writers and authors. So how they can apply this movie to their books. I would say, um, to go along with what I talked about a moment ago from a cinematography standpoint, is putting in those threads, showing the little foreshadowing things. Um, You know, if you make a promise at the beginning, follow through, like you were saying that you didn't feel that the building followed through. Um, But like we see at the beginning, she's looking for a home, at the end she finds the home. At the beginning, she's looking for connection, at the end she finds that connection. And the story promises that are kept, we can go back through and see at the beginning, you know, where where did we make that contract with the, the viewer to where that would be fulfilled. And um, as I write and also in my work with my editing clients, of which I'm not taking new ones right now, but thank you for asking. <laughs> um, we talk a lot about if you're going to build something up, you have to answer the story question or you're going to leave your reader feeling dissatisfied. Or if you're going to have a huge reveal at the end, plant enough cookie crumbs throughout the way so that they expect that it's coming. Yeah, You have to have that connection from the beginning to the end. You have to have that flow in order to make it a cohesive story. And I think that was kind of uh, a little bit what Nolan was talking about too with that first flashback was... It just seems so abrupt and and uh, out of the blue that it didn't flow in seamlessly. You want to stitch in those things to where the flow doesn't pull you out so much that it ruins your enjoyment. Yeah. So foreshadowing, keeping your story promises, 
um, making sure that when the reader gets to the end of the story, they have more than half fulfilled nuzzle. More than they, half fulfilled what? Nuzzle. Oh, nuzzle. <laughs> they, they don't come away just feeling like they've only been nuzzled. <laughs> they, they've got a complete story that they've been presented. This is exactly right. <laughs> yes. Okay. For me, the rings, the rings filled in where the nuzzle left off. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was fine with that, but Nolan needed more than nuzzle. So we need to make sure that the Nolans of the world feel, you know, the yeah, same kind of satisfaction. It, it, it just felt like an odd editing choice to me, but uh-huh. like two second, one second later probably would have made more sense and I wouldn't have noticed, you know. Yeah. Well, maybe they were choosing not to like all out kiss in front of the world. They, they didn't even have to. They were just having like a really nice day with the, their kid mm-hmm. in their house. I mean, I, I got that, but it was, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just kind of, sometimes it can be jarring, like, you know, and I don't understand why uh-huh. the director or the editor decided right that second. You know, but well, I've totally got to go back now and watch that nozzle. <laughs> it wasn't that big of a deal, but I was just kind of like, huh? I just kind of like it was made the me... first thing he said. That was it. They're just going to nuzzle. <laughs> well, it, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, but if that was your knee jerk reaction, then that's you know that. I wasn't outraged. It was just like curious. Like I don't know. Okay, so what's your second takeaway? Or was that more? Oh, than one? I need two of them. Oh, that was that was oh, actually yeah. more than one. So that actually worked I well. I was jabbery enough that I just filled in the whole nope. thing. I will. I will just throw in um, to mirror what you were saying about the research. When you're writing something in an era that that is unfamiliar to you and that you weren't born in that era or what have you, get your research right and then present it in a way that is natural and doesn't come across as as I was walking down the street in 1942, which, as we all know, it's the beginning of World War II, um, <laughs> to keep the authenticity, make it feel real, because you never want your reader to feel like they're being lectured to. They want to come into it for a story. And if you can take your historical fiction and make it a story rather than a history lesson, that's something that I love about writing historical fiction is finding the ways to... Uh, keep it relevant and keep it real without throwing in all the little details. Be very gentle with those details. Be very light with how you add them in so that, um, again, you get that seamless flow. Yeah. Very, very good. I agree. I mean, what's not to agree with? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So mine aren't very, very long, my takeaways. Um, the first one is the title. Um, generally speaking, when you're writing a book, you want a title that is easy to remember. <laughs> I still can't remember the full title for this movie. And I've watched the movie twice and I've talked about it. I've looked it up. I've read about it online and ta- and seen people talking about it. And I'm like, okay, now, is it the literary potato pill Guernsey Island? I mean, what? I still cannot grasp the title. And, uh-huh. and I still spell the title incorrectly, too. Like, when I was announcing this podcast, I said Potato Pill, P-I-L-L. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to be P-E-E-L? Yeah. It's P-E-E-L. Yeah. It's yeah. Peelings. Yeah, like peelings from a potato, it but I don't put two and two together. It just comes out like pill, P-I-L-L. Nope. Yeah. Just potatoes and potato peelings. So simplify. My takeaway is to simplify your titles. The easier they are to remember, the faster. And Tristy was saying that she didn't read the book. She heard about it, but she didn't read the book because the title right. didn't pill to her. Pill? A pill to her. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow, that's sorry. Fun. Good job. Yes. So, so there's that's that's a takeaway right there for authors. You know, you make sure your title is simple and easy to remember. Although this one was broke that rule and was crazy successful. So, <laughs> yeah. it really was. But I just call it the potato peel pie movie because trying to get the whole thing across is, is very difficult. And the thing is, potato pill. If you just search for potato, it comes up. So, <laughs> there's not that many potato based movies. Not as many as there should be. Kind of a shame. There should yeah. be more starchy vegetable-based movies. I feel. Okay, my next takeaway um, is to make the genre clear, and I'm going to read the summary that's on IMDb, and that says. Mm-hmm. 
In the aftermath of World War II, a writer forms an unexpected bond with the residents of Guernsey Island when she decides to write a book about their experiences during the war. Now, that is 100% accurate, but like I said, I had no idea this was a romance. That doesn't say anything about romance to me. Uh-huh. And so, and the, the cover that they chose for the movie doesn't show romance. It shows more of a heartfelt drama, literary drama, well, you know? And it's pretty... Uh-huh. But there's no, to me, I thought she was going to stay with Marcus. I didn't think, I didn't know that she was, I mean, they had all these little things that showed she wouldn't, but I still felt that she would choose to stay with Marcus mm-hmm. and that he would eat, either end up on the island with her. And I was like, why are they having the other guy be more attractive, you know? And so, um, so they had all the right pieces there, but I didn't feel like they set it up as a romance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is a romance, but it's it's more of a drama to me. And I think that's why I, it, it was a little dissonant for me because I expected that more romance. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I expected more between Marcus and Dossie just from the, what people were telling me about the movie before I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. But now, I, I mean, it's just more, it seems more to me a drama that mm-hmm. has a romance, which is important to the story, mm-hmm. but it's yeah, not really a romance that. movie, right? Yeah, I agree that its main, its main focus was like we were talking about, it was Elizabeth's story mm-hmm. and the story of the people on the island and that the romance was awesome because, I mean, hey, he was a hot guy and, you know. He is hot. I don't know if Nolan <laughs> felt that way. But, you I know, did, we yes. all Did you feel that way? He's hot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, there, there was definitely that chemistry there, but I felt that the main, the main impetus of the movie was the historical wartime aspect how it affected and see the see then that that goes to my first expectation um i was expecting that when i watched it and i was disappointed i was expecting uh-huh. something like the king's speech and i was very uh-huh. disappointed that it wasn't that i was like if i'd known it had more of a romance focus then i would have enjoyed the movie more and so uh-huh. the second time i watched it knowing that there was a more of a romance focus i enjoyed it more because i wasn't expecting a master like a literary drama like like the king's speech you know uh-huh. and so for me like not knowing ahead of time what I was going into, you know, because I didn't feel like they made it obvious what I was going into. Yeah. And so, I would, like I said, I was expecting something that had more of a big bang conclusion at the ending that would be emotional and powerful, but it was rather subdued. And it, second time watching it, that worked perfectly, but the first time I was disappointed. Uh-huh. And yeah. so... So I like make make it clear. So I don't know. Like, was I not the target audience? I don't know. You know, Um, I am not. Nolan's not the target audience. (laughs) Although I thought it was a very I thought it was very well done and Uh I did enjoy it, but it's certainly not my genre. So I appreciated it for what it was. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like um, making it more clear so that you draw in your target audience like I would have enjoyed it more if I'd known more what it was about you know uh-huh. and I did I did read up on it I did research it nobody ever mentioned romance as a subplot and so I I and I love subplots romantic subplots you know so it's even more than a subplot really I mean I guess her finding her place included romance yeah. the romance she wanted so I mean yeah it's, but it's not really a separate thread. It's bound up with the main plot, but it is mm-hmm. it is secondary for sure. Well, you and I should have discussed it more ahead of time because I'm pretty sure that like within the first five seconds, I would have said super hot guy because I really <laughs> like that actor. He is very attractive. I was I was very pleased with their choice with him. <laughs> I was yes, like, he's, I like to say that. I was very pleased. He's he's a, like being he, he is appropriately rugged. Yeah. Yes, appropriately rugged. Yeah, I mean, he really, I mean, they, you know, the guys like the slick, blonde kind of. Marcus? Yeah, with the the tux all the time and his military uniform. Like, that's the only time, two times you see him pretty much. Well, he does have a, like a, an overcoat on when he's dressed normally, but I mean, he's always got yeah. flowers and then, you know, he's, um, Dossie's. down to earth and. Uh, un, you know, unshaven, has a, mm-hmm. a rough wool sweater with a hole in it. And the yeah. first time we meet him, he's, like, doing manual labor, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And so the huge contrast between the two of them. Yeah. Exactly. But anyway, well, that's pretty much it, I think, for this episode. Um, um, closing thoughts on it. Trissy loves the movie. I enjoyed it, like I said, the second time. Um, and, and that was another thing. We, I watched it with my mom, and she had the same impression I did. And so she was like, I think I need to watch it again to appreciate it. 
Uh-huh. Um, and so I've told her I watched it again and I enjoyed it the second time. So I'm, I'm encouraging mm-hmm. her to watch it again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was very well crafted. Like the acting was top notch. The the storytelling was very, very well done. Like they did a very mm-hmm. good job on it um, with um, the research and everything and all that, like the foreshadowing, like you mentioned, things like that. Uh-huh. Um, well, it's kind of like when I very first saw Sense and Sensibility, I wasn't familiar with the story. I had only ever seen Alan Rickman as like the evil sheriff of Nottingham and whatnot. And I spent that entire movie waiting for him to do something dreadful. So we get to the end and I was like, wait, I have to watch it again. So then I went back and I really concentrated on everything that his character did. And Colonel Brandon is now my favorite character in that whole movie. When you have an expectation and you're expecting certain things, it does skew how you view the film. So I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Nolan, do you have any final comments or anything? No. Trissy? I've talked both your ears off. I'm, I'm gonna... <laughs> All right, Trissy, where can people find you? Um, currently, I'm in my bedroom. Um, I'm sometimes in the living room. <laughs> you and Nolan have um, too much in common. Very literal. <laughs> my website for Tristy Pinkston is tristypinkston.com. Really hard to remember. My website for Amelia Adams is ameliacadams.com. And you can find me under either of those names at um, Facebook and pop in say hi to me and get to know a little bit more about what i do awesome sounds good and and she does write um those western romances under amelia and they are fun they're little little um bits of candy i would say um nolan loves her books just kidding (laughs) (laughs) i'm also not the target audience for your books (laughs) yes that's okay though i understand (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, and if you have any questions, you can send me an email at andreatselfpublishstrong.com, and I have my BookBub Promotions and More group. We just finished tying off descriptions in the live videos today on Tuesday, which is, what's the date today? 26th. The 26th of February, 2019, for those of you listening in the future. And, um, yeah, so next things that we'll be talking about in the BookBub Promotions and More group are reviews that you'll want to have on your books before applying for a BookBub feature and basically how reviews can help you get featured by BookBub. So go and check the group out, and that'll be on Monday, hopefully, unless I have a baby between now and then, (laughs) which I don't think the baby's coming for a while, but, you know, babies do what they want to do. But anyway, um... Yeah, that's pretty much it for today. So we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. You have to actually say bye. I have to say bye. Waving. Okay. Goodbye. (laughs) Podcasts are not generally a visual medium. (laughs) Although there are some. (laughs) 